Welcome to BIO, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. BIO is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm BIO member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. On each episode, we'll talk with a biographer about his or her work. On this episode, we'll talk with longtime media producer and biographer Lisa Napoli. Her latest book, Up All Night, Ted Turner, CNN, and the Birth of 24-Hour News, was published in May 2020 by Abrams Press. In an online Zoom session, I asked Lisa if her third book, Up All Night, was a biography of entrepreneur Ted Turner, television's cable news network, and of the news media landscape in general. You got it. That's It's all of those things. And I've been hanging around bio enough and gone to enough conferences and talked to enough biographers myself that uh, it occurred to me that I could do just what you described in this book because there had been biographies of Ted Turner. There, of course, countless books about broadcasting, history of broadcasting. And then uh, CNN, there have been a few books, but most of them were older, um, were either personal memoirs of people who'd worked at CNN, but, but about the network, there were a couple written a long time ago. So I just thought that with the 40th anniversary, it just seemed like that was a good roundup of all those three subjects. Okay. Are you talking about the 40th anniversary of... CNN. CNN was born on June 1st, 1980. But it was really the culmination of um, many years of work on the part of Ted Turner and the people who worked with him. And that was another thing I wanted to do in writing the biography of CNN was to go back to the parents because, um, you know, people do know a fair amount about modern CNN, obviously, but the precursor to CNN was basically a little junky UHF station that Ted Turner bought for pretty much a song uh, in 1969 in Atlanta that got him into television. So looking at the roots there was really a big part of the research that I wanted to do, which made the people who worked at that station very happy because no one really had ever acknowledged them before as, as sort of ancestors of CNN. And what station are we talking about? So the station was called JRJ, WJRJ, when he bought it. A rich man had started it, um, Mr. Rice, in the 60s. And uh, he did not do well with the station for a variety of reasons. And so Ted came in and bought it. Uh, He wanted to name it at the time WTBS, but WTBS was taken by Massachusetts Institute of Technology's college radio station. So he had to use the the call letters WTCG, Turner Communications Group, and it was uh, Channel 17. And uh, it was one of two independent UHF stations in Atlanta. And Atlanta is a major city now. It was not a major, major city then. So there really wasn't a lot of audience, especially at that moment in time in television. Okay, so... Ted Turner buys this station, but the cost of purchasing and running a station is serious. It's no joke. You have to have some serious money and obviously be able to generate that. So how how did he come to be able to um, own a station? He uh, basically 
was the heir to a billboard fortune. His father had started a billboard company and uh, over time amassed a number of billboard companies throughout the Southeast. And unfortunately, he had made a bad business deal, um, had a serious bout with depression, and this is Ted Turner's father, committed suicide when Ted was a young man. Mm -hmm. And Ted, up until that point, was, you know, sort of a classic, quintessential bad boy. Where was he from originally? Where was he born? Pretty much he'd grown up in Savannah. His father um, was Southern Mississippi, moved up north, and then came down to Savannah. But then ultimately, as he... Uh, acquired billboard businesses around the Southeast, moved to Atlanta. Both of them were inveterate outdoorsmen, hunters. um, And so he, after he committed suicide, Ted was left with this business as a young man. He had a young family and he could have very easily just said, okay, I'm going to keep running this billboard company. But instead he wanted to avenge his father's death. He was obviously despondent. They were very close. And Ted decided that uh, after a little while that billboards were not the sexiest business. They were a lucrative business and they were tricky because there were billboards, there was legislation coming in the Johnson administration to regulate billboards. So he wanted to diversify and to diversify, he figured if I'm gonna sell ads on billboards, I might as well buy radio. And he did, and he didn't find radio very sexy. It was difficult to manage. Um, it just didn't dazzle him. Mm-hmm. And over a period of time and series of events, someone found him and basically said, uh, if you buy this television station, I think you'd be, you know, you'd help the television station and it could help you. And so, of course, television was far sexier than radio in his mind. So he bought it. And that was when? That was in 1969. He closed on it in 70 and uh, took ownership in 70. And basically, it was like having a baby, you know, without a handbook. (laughs) He didn't know what to do. And it wasn't as if television, you know, television was only really 20 years in at that point. So there weren't obvious rules and television, the landscape of all media were changing. So it wasn't prescribed, okay, if you have this and do that, you will make money. It wasn't like that at all. And the first thing he noticed was that the place was filled with, as he called them, bums, guys who'd hang around with their feet up, who just sort of were coasting along. And so he just imposed this, you know, structure on the place. Uh, He wanted people who really wanted to make stuff happen. All right. And he's been called, I know he um, didn't appreciate it, but he's been called the mouth of the South. (laughs) Was that his nickname when he purchased the station or did that come about as a result of him getting into television? He was an incredibly uh, garrulous and um, incendiary speaker. So when he bought the place, he was still young and he was still a relative unknown. And one of the first things he realized was that he needed to find programming. And all the while he was yachting, he was a a world-class yachter and winning yachting competitions. And he installed enough management in the place to run the joint that he could run off for months at a time and yacht and win trophies and all of that. But to your question about 
mouth of the South. Um, that came about in the late 70s when um, he was uh, winning the America's Cup and was drunken on national television accepting the trophies. And he had, even up before that, he had bought the Atlanta Braves as a programming uh, device for his station. And um, he licensed the Braves games. And then he, he bought the Braves when the Braves were maybe going to move out of Atlanta so that he could have this steady source of programming. And at the baseball games, as well as at the yachting races, he was just over the top. He would scream, he was lewd, he was, he was just a wild man. So it was, it was a constellation of those things, but what solidified it was uh, that day when he won the America's Cup and was drunk on national television. <laughs> he made no apologies about ever. And that was the thing about him too. You know, salesmen would say when they went to, to try to dazzle national accounts to give them ads, and Ted was outraged that people wouldn't advertise on his little station he would writhe on the floor at like a crazy person and say, you can't do this to me. You're killing me. He was uh, no filter. Before the uh, creation of CNN, did he initiate any innovative programming on his station? He personally didn't, but what he did, which was sort of the precursor to CNN and news purists around the world would be horrified at this. Uh, well, I'll step back. I don't know if anybody listening to this remembers when television used to go off at night. It used to just end, you know, one o'clock in the morning it was over. And Ted said, that's ridiculous. This is a part of the day. I'm an insomniac. Somebody else must be an insomniac. Not everybody works nine to five. Plus, this is a whole part of the day that I'm not making any money on. So he decided to stay open up all night um, with the station, which was revolutionary. We think he's the first person who did that. And then he had to satisfy FCC requirements, which said that he had to have a certain amount of news. And he didn't have a news department. He really couldn't afford one. So his crazy crew, and it was a big crazy frat boy kind of crew, decide, even though there were some women among the crew, they decided that they would do the news in the middle of the night because they thought news was boring. And from there, the little newscast, which was really basically just reading headlines, became this kind of early day Saturday Night Live sketch comedy newscast. So he didn't himself initiate that programming, but he encouraged it. He loved the show. And later on, when uh, Channel 17 went first on cable and then up on satellite, this jokey newscast became sort of a signature piece of Channel 17. Is it true, though, I think you write in your book that he didn't like the news? He didn't like the news. He was very conservative, much to people's surprise. They think of him as an arch liberal, but he was not then. And he felt that the network news was biased. He felt the networks were incredibly um, liberal. He did not like, even though he was a wild man, he didn't like scantily clad women running on beaches or sex and movies or violence. And so he was very angry about the networks and felt the news propagated more bad behavior. And so he just was basically anti-news. Yeah. So how does a man <laughs> who is not a big fan of news become the creator of CNN, one of the standards uh, in the industry? So how does that happen? 
it happened basically, Sonia, and it's not a great explanation by accident. <laughs> I mean, he, it is not a political agenda or a political, a, a point of view that caused him to start it. It was basically the availability of technology. What he saw in the mid seventies, first by putting channel 17 on cable. So by putting it on cable, it was able to transmit around the Southeast and suddenly smaller areas in the Southeast that might not be able to see, say, the Atlanta Braves. Suddenly they had a baseball team that they could see all the time. So he basically fell in love with the technology that allowed him first to transmit Channel 17 around the region, around the Southeast. But then when he read in the trades about uh, an incredible revolutionary move on the part of a, an unknown company called Home Box Office, HBO, that was about to catapult itself up onto the satellite and transmit around the nation. He saw that, you know, you could marry something that was a little regional or local television station and send it up to the satellite. And it sounds hard to imagine, but it was cheaper to do that than it was to transmit it another way. And he saw that and he said, what can I do with that technology? And so he sat around with a bunch of his managers and they brainstormed and basically they couldn't do entertainment because HBO was going to do entertainment and it was only on for a few hours a day, but they'd sort of had that lock. Sports was something they had, Ted owned just several teams and he had the lock on that. So he didn't want to give that up off of his television station. Uh, somebody suggested music and someone said, no one wants to watch music on TV. That's stupid. We won't do that. So then somebody said news, let's do news. And that's when he found the other big protagonist in this book, the first president of CNN, Reese Schoenfeld. Mm -hmm. And so when it launched, what kind of reception did CNN receive? It was lackluster, lukewarm. First of all, there were only 18 million homes in the country at that point that had cable television. Uh, in Washington, D.C., Tom Shales, who was then the TV critic for The Washington Post, had to drive across the bridge to Virginia to sit in a place that had cable so that he could watch the debut broadcasts of CNN because it wasn't available in most major American cities at that point. And only 2 million homes out of the gate had CNN. And no one in the press corps took it seriously. Um, just the people who worked there took it seriously. And even they didn't know if it was going to work. So it was called Chicken Noodle News by people inside and out. It was a derogatory way of saying, this is a joke. Part of it was that Ted was so mouth of the South, larger than life, that no one could believe that he was starting a news network. As a, a media person yourself, how easy or difficult was it getting interviews and information about the long history of not just CNN, but also of Ted Turner? I seem to have a knack for choosing subjects that won't talk to me uh, or can't talk to me and where there's no easy access corporate history. But um, basically, I just first thing I did was I sat down and read all the books that were out there and then started making lists from there. There was no easy avail easily available list of the original CNN employees, but there was a Facebook group. Um, Ted Turner, sadly, 
has a form of dementia. Um, and I've learned enough from going to bio conferences these years that even if he was able to talk, now he's in his 80s, that uh, he was so well documented back then that uh, there were so many speeches recorded and, and, you know, there was much media about him that was pretty readily available. And, um, but yeah, it was also overwhelming because I didn't have a lot of time. We wanted the book to come out in, in tandem with the anniversary. And so I it's not like I could spend years finding every single person who trundled down to Atlanta. Uh, so I zeroed in, you know, there were, there was an army of young people hired, they called journal, video journalists, and they were all paid minimum wage. I was one of those myself later on. But of the originals, once I talked to five or 10 of them, I started to find through lines in their stories. And so then it required a lot of tangential research besides those principal people going back to Channel 17 and then sort of offshoots into various history of broadcast news. And since you say that Ted is dealing with a dementia now, how much access did you have to either family members, his former wives, who could give you insight about his personal life? So basically, he's had three wives and there were two in the period when I'm writing about. And I found an incredible repository. Two men, uh, a father-son duo, wrote a book called Citizen Turner in 1995. And uh, it was the definitive biography of Ted Turner at the time, both well-regarded writers. Uh, and, and they did exhaustive research and they left their archive of uh, interviews at the UCLA Special Collections. And I happened to live in LA and I talked with one of the gentlemen who was happy to hear somebody was updating the book. So I went and listened to a lot of those archives where I heard um, stories from various people in his orbit personally and professionally, many of whom are deceased. So there, there were two early biographies not traditional biographies like mine is not, uh, that were written in the 70s. And so I read those and those were very detailed. And there were many films, there were yachting films. So it was just an amalgamation of a lot of people and material. Was Jane Fonda his second or third wife? Jane Fonda was his third wife and he didn't marry her until after the sort of scope of my action ends. So he was married to a different Jane at the time, the, the real center of the CNN creation. Um, anybody who reads this book and is hoping for a Ted Turner, Jane Fonda relationship dissection, it's not there. And I didn't even attempt it because as I say, you know, I had, I had to make a decision about how to tell the story like every biographer does. And I realized I really wanted to mine the origin story of CNN and then stop at a certain point. And so I really stop with an abbreviation on either end in 1987. Um, it's not what we would call a cradle to grave biography of CNN or of Ted Turner. It's, mm -hmm. it's a very discreet period of time. Okay. Given what you know about Ted Turner and his personality as well as his philosophy, how do you think he would feel about um, CNN's role in news today? Ted Turner has said that the best professional achievement of his life was creating CNN. I could only guess 
how he would feel about where we are today. But I do know that when CNN started, the president he hired, Reese Schoenfeld, who really had the vision for what CNN would look like. Um, basically, his whole idea was that the story would unfold before your eyes, as opposed to being presented to you in a little package by a group of people, mostly men, at the you know, end of the day you would watch CNN and watch the news unfold. And of course, certainly right now, that's what people are doing. So how he would react, I don't know. But I do also know that um, he was a fervent believer in the use of media as an instrument for peace, which of course it has not turned out to be. Certainly now it's, I think, inciting more than it's peacifying. And there's absolutely no question, I think, uh, among any of the CNN creators that the 24 hour news cycle has accelerated our seeing news, of course, but also has accelerated or elongated the presidential campaign in a way that's not necessarily useful or productive. Any uh, words of advice you want to offer to uh, biographers who may want to write a similar kind of book? Man, don't do it unless you're totally in love with what you do, because you got to love it, because this is it's really hard. I loved writing this book, but it was really, really hard. You know, it was hard for me when I started writing on the Facebook alumni page uh, and people would attack me because they thought I was writing a memoir. Who are you to write a memoir? You weren't there very long and you weren't there at the beginning. And I would explain, I'm not writing a memoir. And the only reason I'm writing you, know, I'm identifying myself as having worked at CNN is just because I did. But I have to say that the most gratifying thing was finding people and artifacts that were so helpful in my doing what I did. And I just, I love that part of it. I've learned so much going to bio, reading bio, reading biographies, but reading the newsletter. Um, so I would say that's another thing that anybody who wants to do it needs to listen to all of our podcasts and come to our conference because it helped me tremendously. That was Lisa Napoli, co-producer of BIO's podcast series and author of Up All Night, Ted Turner, CNN, and the birth of 24-hour news. This online Zoom conversation was recorded on May 31st, 2020. To learn more about BIO or to hear other episodes in our podcast series, please visit our website, biographersinternational.org. I'm bio member Sonia Williams in Washington, D.C. Enzo De Palmer created our theme music. And until next time, thanks for listening and have a great day. Bye.